What does it mean to be mortal? Are we deluding ourselves into believing that we will live forever? Are we making bad decisions based on the faulty assumption that we will live longer than we actually will? Physician and author Atul Gawande investigates this in his best-selling book, Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End. I'd highly recommend that you read this book or listen to it on Audible. Let me just give you the description real quick from the book, and then we'll talk about some key takeaways and things that I gleaned and how why it's highly relevant for everyone in retirement or with people in retirement that are close to them, parents and such. From surgeon and best-selling author Atul Gawande, the book that's changing lives and medicine. Medicine has triumphed in modern times, transforming the dangers of childbirth, injury, and disease from harrowing to manageable. But when it comes to the inescapable realities of aging and death, what medicine can do often runs counter to what it should. Through eye-opening research and gripping stories of his own patients and family, Gwande reveals the suffering this dynamic has produced. Nursing homes, devoted above all to safety, battle with residents over the food they are allowed to eat and the choices they are allowed to make. Doctors, uncomfortable with discussing patients' anxieties about death, fall back on false hopes and treatments that are actually shortening the lives instead of improving them. And families go along with all of it. In his best-selling books, Atul Gawande, a practicing surgeon, has fearlessly revealed the struggles of his profession. Now he examines its ultimate limitations and failures, in his own practices as well as others, as life draws to a close. And he discovers how we can do better. He follows a hospice nurse on her rounds, a geriatrician in his clinic, and reformers turning the nursing homes upside down. He finds people who show us how to have the card conversations, and how to ensure we never sacrifice what people really care about. Riveting, honest, and humane, being moral shows how the ultimate goal is not a good death, but a good life, all the way to the very end. If you haven't read this, and you have parents that are aging or you're aging, I would highly recommend it. There's a number of key takeaways that I think, and, and it's really good all the way along, but here, here's just a few of them that that I brought out. One, turning that we've turned life problems into medical problems, right? Humans go through many problems as we age, and as a society, we have turned to medicine to solve many of these problems. We've, we've looked at the medical community and we've said, hey, fix this. But while many of our problems have medical symptoms, uh, they aren't necessarily medical problems. And better relationships, habits, social networks, and purpose can often solve a lot of the ailments that we look to medicine to solve for us. And sure, there are certainly medical problems that grow more acute as we age, but expecting doctors to fix our mental and relational problems is like expecting teachers to solve the poor grades at school for people who have a bad home life. We've put too much responsibility on the professionals to deal with our personal and family problems. Uh, second, you know, the, the medical end-of-life pipeline, they call it. That There's this end-of-life pipeline that we expect older people to go through. It starts in a home and it ends in a home with a few facilities along the way, right? You, you, one, you start in your home and then you go into an independent living facility and then an assisted living facility, followed by a nursing home and then finally a funeral home. And we just kind of expect that people will go through this, but not everyone needs this. Not everyone needs to go be shoved into a home or a facility of some 
kind. And and a lot of times we are forced into these ourselves, or we're forcing family members into this because we are we have a lack of awareness about alternatives. Uh, prop, we we don't have the proper planning, and and or we just don't want to have tough conversations. And so we or our loved ones endure hardships because we are not thinking ahead. We're not making the right plans when it comes to end of life. And three, one thing I thought was really interesting was that the role of doctors that has shifted over time. And, and he talks about three styles of, of doctor's advice, right? The first kind that was kind of prevalent way back in the day was what they call the paternal style of doctoring. That's where a doctor just tells you what to do because they're the doctor and they know best, right? So they, they diagnose you and they say, hey, just go do this. And they just kind of tell you what to do. And, and people eventually started not liking that, especially as more and more information came out. And so then the, the style often shifted to the more informative style of doctoring. And this is where instead of the doctor just telling you what to do because they're the doctor, and instead they inform you of all the different decisions, all the different options that you have. You know, here's the problem and here's all the different choices that you have to fix it. And they just give you tons and tons of information and then you need to decide as the patient. And people did like this because it gives you more of the power back in your own health decisions. And that's a really good thing. But often, especially now with the overcomplication of everything, everything is so complicated when it comes to health, right? That often this is too much information and people don't really know how to filter through the massive amounts of information, especially without the technical training behind it to make good decisions. And so there's this third kind that is called interpretive style. And that's where the doctor asks you about, you know, after figuring out what's wrong with you and, 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 and diagnosing it, they ask you about your goals and your fears and your wishes and, and explains your options, but then provides guidance on which options give you the best chance of achieving your goals, right? And, and most doctors seem, you know, a tool says that most of them seem to go for the informative style that they, you know, they like to be the expert. They want to be able to demonstrate all this stuff, but then they don't have to have all the weight of the decision themselves. They just present you, here's the red pill, here's the blue pill. You decide which one you want. Um, and it puts all the, the weight and the responsibility on the patients and they still get to be the expert, the, the official doctor to bring all these things. But a tool advocates for number three, the, the interpretive style, where it is more of a dis, you know more of a back and forth, more more fact finding, more figuring out, well, hey, what's really important to people, and how can we give you guidance and advice to get there? And, and so do I. Right? I kind of reminds me a lot of, of our profession, where in the same way, like you can you have some uh, financial professionals that just tell you what to do, others that just give you a ton of options, and then you need to figure it out. And that's also what Google does, right? And then others that really dig into your hopes and goals and all these things, and then not only gives you the options, but then gives you advice on exactly what's the best and what gives you the best chance of reaching your goals. But beyond beyond these takeaways, uh, there's also some themes that he explores and, and we'll call it living well and dying well, right? And, and Abraham Lincoln once said uh, many years ago, uh, in the end, it's not the years of your life that matters. It's the life in your years. In the end, it's not the years of your life that matter. It's the life in your years. And far too often we sacrifice the quality at the end of our life for, for more quantity of life, right? We give up the life in our years for more years in our life. And there was an avid runner once who, who ran three hours a day, right? And he planned to for the rest of his life, just run three hours a day. And, and someone finally asked him, hey, wh why, do you, why do you run so much? And the, the runner responded, well, if I run three hours a day, it will help me live five years longer. And the other person did a little bit of quick math and, and said, well, what's the point of living five years longer 
if you spent a combined eight years running to get there? Right? What's the point of extending life a little bit further if the things that you need to do consume more time than the extra life that it gave you? Especially if you don't actually like doing the things. Indeed, right? So, so most money is spent on healthcare, spent in the, in the final few years of life, right? Often trying to prolong it a little bit further. And more time is spent in hospitals to extend life. And, and sometimes we undergo horrible treatments and surgeries that cause a lot of pain and, and issue to eke out just a few more painful months, maybe a year, to tack on to the end of our life. And perhaps we should ask ourselves what was asked of the runner, right? What was the point of living an extra year if we needed to spend a combined three years in treatment to get it? Perhaps we should focus more on quality of life than quantity. So here's four questions for tough medical decisions that are given in the book that really help build this out, right? The tool can tell that lots of this is brought on by doctors giving false hope that a patient's you know, a patient situation is dire and the doctor informs the patient and the family that treatment X may extend their life, but it may have a litany of side effects, right? And what isn't necessarily disclosed is that while the patient and the family is hoping for years of life to be extended, the doctor hopes for months, right? And so, yes, it may extend your life, but there's, there's a difference in expectation and hopes there for what's actually possible and we're happy to it because it is a tough conversation to have with someone that they will not live very long we we tend to fall back on on false hopes or very low chances of prolonging it not really necessarily considering the quality of life that we may be prolonging and if we were more honest about our situations more deliberate about these conversations we could live better and die better and the tool suggests that these four questions that that patients should be asked when they're facing these tough medical decisions. Number one, what is the understanding of where you are with your health? What is your understanding of where you are with your health? Do you actually understand all that's going on and where you are and the diagnosis and the prognosis and all of these things? What, what is your understanding of where you are with your health? Number two, what are your worries for the future? What are your worries for the future? And he gave some examples of people who are worried about, you know, more about pain than anything else or worried about uh, becoming a burden or some of these other things. Right? Just, it, can widely, it can vary widely. And so knowing what those are for you and talking through those can be a big help. Number three, what are your hopes and priorities? On the flip side, we've got the worries on one, but then what are your hopes and priorities? What do you, what do you want to get out of? What's most important to you, particularly at the end? And then number four, what are you willing to sacrifice and what are you willing, what are you not willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice and what are you not willing to sacrifice? And, and for some people, again, like maybe you are, are willing to, to sacrifice mobility to gain a few more months of life. Maybe you're willing to sacrifice being able to eat to do this, but maybe you're not. Maybe, you know, again, just having these conversations can figure out what is actually most important to you and, and or to your loved one and help you make better decisions from that point. By thinking through these, these questions and discussing with your doctor, you may get interpretive style guidance instead of just information, right? Some of them just presenting options and then you having to decide if you were able to talk through these, they may have better outcomes. And while it may not make the final decision any easier, most people find that it made it better and they had more peace about the decision afterward. And... One of the last things that the book emphasized is that estate planning is everything. And generally, we think of, of 
uh, estate planning is wills and trusts, but an often overlooked element is the advanced directive and, and healthcare power of attorney. So again, we've talked about this a little bit, but if you're not familiar, an advanced directive is also called the living will or a health directive. And what it is, it is your wishes for when you can no longer make your own health decisions, right? You're, you're mentally incapacitated or you're in a coma or whatever else. What would you want to have happen to you? And you can pre-decide some of those things for that eventuality. And thinking and talking through these decisions is in a directive is critical for ensuring that the right decisions are made, right? What do you actually want for yourself? And a tool actually highlights La Crosse, Wisconsin in the book. That's where I'm from as a community that's doing right. It was really cool when I was reading, you know, I was listening through it and, and just to hear them bring up La Crosse, Wisconsin and Gunderson Health Systems, which is here in La Crosse, has been strongly encouraging people for a long time to get their health directive done, to get this done and, and put all this on paper, make it official and so that they know. And, and because of that, I didn't know this until I read this book, but in this community, we have some of the lowest end of life care costs in the nation. And most of that comes from people being clear on what they actually want and not trying for these painful and and, and usually uh, failed extra attempts to prolong their life and really focusing on quality of life instead of extending the quantity at any cost. And so there's a lot of good things can come from it. And, and it was cool to see that we are actually leading the way uh, in this. So it's part of it, right? Health directive, advanced directive, living will. But then the other part then is your healthcare power of attorney. And right, you can't possibly think of every scenario that you might need in your, uh, you know, health directive. And so that's where you also nominate a power of attorney. Who else is going to step in to help make any other decisions that you can't make for yourself? So having these hard conversations with them, while you, you know, while it may be complicated or uncomfortable, sharing your wishes with your POA significantly improves the situations later, right? So you can use those four questions with your doctor. You can also use them with your POA and with your family members just to have those discussions, uh, make those, have those tough conversations, make those decisions up front to make it better for everyone down the road. And you may be thinking through all this, I thought this was a finance podcast. Like, what, why are we talking so much about health when we're supposed to be talking about investing or taxes or whatever else. And I guess first it's a retirement podcast, right? Um, and health is a big part of retirement, but it's even more important than that, right? Many of us hear the same message from financial professionals over and over for our whole lives, right? Which is save, 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 save and invest, save and invest, save, save, save. We hear it for so long that that message can get hardwired into our psyche. And it can take a long time to unwind that message that, that's in there. That's why many people, right, they get to retirement, they save a bunch of money, and then they are unable to spend it because they're just so used to saving. They can't just flip that switch. Some people can, and other people can't. Right, so if nothing else, take this as permission. Not that you need permission to spend your own money, but in case you do, take this as permission from a certified financial planner that you are allowed to spend your money, even if it's on enjoying the quality of life rather than trying to extend the quantity. So you can spend it on life experiences. You can spend it on getting an estate plan. You can spend it, spend it all down, right? Enjoying your life and then opt for six months of hospice care instead of two years of treatment. It's, it's your money. It's your health. It's your life. I'm just here to help you optimize it. And the book, Being Mortal by Tula Gawande, can also help you think through these things. And again, I'd recommend it. We are mortal. The body doesn't live forever and we will all face death someday and we all have the opportunity to live and to die well. We are also eternal. 
And while our bodies pass away, our souls live forever. And so a quick word to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Shouldn't the certainty of where we're going when our body dies change how we live out our final days? Surely our confidence in Christ should cause us to opt for living better and dying sooner to be with him than to try to prolong a dying body. I think that all Christians should deep deep I think that all Christians should think deeply about this as they approach their life expectancy. And a quick word to anyone who's listening who isn't absolutely sure of what happens when they die, shouldn't you be sure? Being mortal and being eternal are not mutually exclusive. If you're not positive about your eternal destination, then I would love to talk to you more th- about that than about your money. And you can call one eight five five six mentor and I would love to talk with you about that. And while I would never recommend a whole life policy, I always recommend that you have an eternal life policy. And I happen to know the only one with guarantees. Cheers. If you enjoyed that, you would love being part of our free membership community. It's called Retire Membership. And it has a host of benefits all for free. For example, you can always buy my book, 3D Retirement Income, on Amazon. But if you join us at Retire Membership, we will send you either a hard copy or paperback for free, provide the ebook and the audiobook so that you can listen to it if you don't have time to read it. In addition to that, we'll also provide you with a bunch of content that you can't get anywhere else. For example, we have our quarterly Retire Mentorship magazine which comes out quarterly and has no ads whatsoever. It's just timely content to help you stay the course. We also have workbooks for our free online workshop to help you get the most out of those, flowcharts to help you make better decisions, and a weekly email to provide timely content that you can unsubscribe from at any time. We never ask for any payment information and we never share your information with anyone else. We just want to provide timely content and help you stay the course to retire successfully and stay successfully retired. There's no reason to wait. So join us now at retiremembership.com where you can click in the link in the description and it'll go right there. We can't wait to see you in the community. Cheers. This podcast is educational only and is not investment, tax, or legal advice.